Welcome back to the best college football pick and pod in the land. As always, we come to you from bellyupsports.com. He is Alan Denton. I am Thomas Black, and we are here to discuss the Sooners from Oklahoma. It's year two under Brent Venables after a precipitous fall in year one that held Oklahoma to a six and seven record. Alan, welcome back in. How are you today? I'm good. Glad to be back and and talk all the things about Oklahoma Sooners today. So this is an interesting team because... You know, based on last year, it's hard to get a read because nobody expected they're just pooping the bed last year. Certainly was a dramatic year and one that no one expected with the way things went. This is a team that went three and five straight up in the confidence pick them that we saw last season. They went four and four against the spread. And this is one note that I jotted down. They went 8.6 points below the expectation set by the spread last year. So over a touchdown off from what the spread indicated each and every week for this team, that is something that is fairly significant because we saw them average over their eight appearances an average spread of being a favorite by four and a half points. So well below that, averaging having a losing output each and every week, they were in the contest, even though they ended up going three and five. Alan, what sticks out to you about 2022 when we think back on the Sooners and definitely the disappointing season it was, but as we look at more specifically what happened in our competitions? There was a lot to forget last year. You want to burn a lot of tape if you're a Sooners fan. They're not used to taking that many L's. Looking back, they get off to a pretty good start. You're thinking, okay, they beat a bad Nebraska team. They beat some bad teams to start. But that Nebraska game is one that we picked, and they covered very, very easily. But then just a few short weeks later, they lose three in a row, including the terribly embarrassing 49 to nothing loss against Texas in the Red River rivalry. And looking, I was shocked. They lost five one-score games, and four of those games were by only three points apiece. That was pretty breathtaking to me because you win half of those. You're at a decent kind of eight and four type of record rather than the six and seven type of record you ended up with. Absolutely, that is the case. This is one to me that really stuck out. It was the early portion of the schedule that that really caught my attention as we went last season. You know, because we had such high expectations for Oklahoma in year one under Venables, but then that got turned around so quickly. And I'll detail this by looking at the confidence pick'em. I went back and detailed exactly what I did because we've talked about this on at least one pick'em profile so far this offseason, is that to be able to get an edge on the competition, especially when you're lobbying points at certain games, you've got to be able to tell when one team is trending in a lot better direction than expectations were set early in the season. And opposite of that, you've got to be able to get ahead of the pack when a team is trending in the wrong direction. And I found that in my favor a little bit with Oklahoma last season. You mentioned week three, they played Nebraska. Now, Everybody just about in our pick'em contest on the confidence side had Oklahoma valued at a high level. You know, there were a lot of eights, nines, and tens. I had them at a nine against Nebraska. They blew them out. Cool. So what? Everybody was in about the same territory, so it made just about no difference. But by the point we got to week four, when they played Kansas State, 
a lot of people were kind of fooled into believing, hey, this Oklahoma team is great. You know, we've seen a lot of what we would normally expect to see from them. They just blew out the Cornhuskers. They get to Kansas State. They lose on their home field by seven. Now, I had Oklahoma at a 10 in that matchup, a game that they were favored to win. But then we forward on to the next week, and I was already getting cautious with them going into week five. Even at TCU, I still picked Oklahoma, but only at a four, where a lot of people still had them at mid to high level picks, some very high. And I just got a feeling after that showing against Kansas State that this defense was not worth anything. And I was a little scared to put them at a high level against TCU. Sure enough, the Horned Frogs blow them out by 31 points on their home field. And by the next week in week six, there were still some picks in favor of Oklahoma going up against Texas. This was even the game that Dylan Gabriel was out with an injury. But I guaranteed just about a win for Texas in this one. It was one of my confidence value picks. I even gave an ATS lock on the against the spread side. And I ended up putting Texas at a 10. And there was, I believe when I looked back, I think I was one of only two people that had Texas at a 10 versus Oklahoma. But it came out in my favor and one that I'm certainly glad and I look back on as one of the things that kept me up toward the top of the leaderboard early in last season because I tended to get ahead of the pack with the Sooners team versus the lag that a few other people had. Yeah, I was looking back in the same vein and I was much slower. I had Oklahoma beating TCU at an eight. And I think I had the the Kansas State game, literally my 10 game. But by the next week, by Texas, I had picked Texas at a five. So I was a little bit slower, but particularly after that TCU game. It was very clear at that point, this is not a good football team. Mm -hmm. One of those changes that you don't get the opportunity to see all that often, but one that if you ended up on the right side, it really could pay dividends. So something that we hope we can point to as we go into 2023, hopefully we can identify some of those situations as we go into our next season. Alan, in terms of what's been changing with this roster, we have five NFL draft picks that left in the 2023 draft. Two offensive tackles and Anton Harrison and Wanya Morris were both top three round picks. Wide receiver Marvin Mims was a second round pick. A running back and Eric Gray going in the fifth round. A couple of ex-Tennessee players in this list. And tight end Braden Willis going in the seventh round as well. All five of their draft picks from the offensive side of the ball. So how does that kind of impact your thinking as we look ahead to another season? I think they're really going to miss Marvin Mims. He was explosive and dynamic. He was one of those typical guys that kind of like Hollywood Brown, that when you got the ball in his hands, he could make things happen. He could turn a 15 yard gain into a 60 yard touchdown. Those are things that we just don't know whether they're going to be able to replace them on, uh, you know, a one-to-one basis. I know that at least Lindy is high on Jalil Farouk as a wide receiver, a playmaker with the ball in his hands, but I just don't see immediately them having a one-to-one replacement. Anytime you lose both offensive tackles, that's a pretty big deal, particularly when most likely you are going to have to outscore people at least on some level again. Not saying their defense will be nearly as bad, but they're still going to have to score a lot of points for this team to be successful. The one thing they do have in their favor is they have a very experienced quarterback that maybe can get the ball out more quickly. Dylan Gabriel does return on the offensive side to head up this offense. You mentioned Jaleel Farouk. Uh, Some of the uh, predictors out there do like him as a wide receiver. I do too. I don't think he's 
on the same level that Marvin Mims is. I don't think he's on the same type of level that a C.D. Lamb was at Oklahoma. You know, I don't think they necessarily have that alpha receiver with the Sooners right now. But I do believe that Jaleel Farouk can be a solid, if not really good, wide receiver for Oklahoma. I just don't know that he's going to dominate defenses the way some of their guys have in the past. Drake Stoops returns as well. He's a pretty good slot receiver. He's nothing special either. But I do believe with the experience of Dylan Gabriel and the experience they have at wide receiver, I think we could see some good things. For a minute here, Alan, let's keep this with the offense because we do see a lot of changes all throughout this roster. What else are you looking at with this offense that gives you an indication of what they're going to be able to produce come 2023? Well, interestingly enough, this should indicate how bad they were defensively. They had five draft picks, all of them on the offensive side of the ball, and I still think that's going to be the best side of the ball. They still have several returning starters, 14 overall, which is a decent total, six on offense. I think the biggest one is Dylan Gabriel. As long as he remains healthy and takes care of the football, I think this is a team that can be pretty explosive in a league that is known for its explosiveness. The big question is, and we look at concerns, and that's going to be on the other side of the ball, but I'll hold that for a moment. I, I want to kind of see what you're thinking offensively as well. Yeah, I think they can be pretty solid. I think the experience of Gabriel is good. I mentioned a couple of the receivers already. I think the transfer market could be something to watch. They brought in a tight end, Austin Stogner, who used to be at Oklahoma. He spent one year at South Carolina, and if you go mm-hmm. back – two and three years ago, he was very involved in the passing game. Now that diminished a little bit a couple of seasons ago, but he was also splitting time with Braden Willis, who just went in the NFL draft. So I tend to believe that Austin Stogner is going to be a thumbs up, a plus for this offense. I think he's going to be involved. And when you don't have absolutely dominant wide receivers, I think he can be a piece that you can relatively rely on. They have a couple of other transfer wide receivers as well. I'll highlight one of them, Andrew Anthony, who comes from Michigan. A couple of seasons ago, we saw him kind of pop every once in a while. He's not been a guy that has had a ton of career receptions, but he's got a lot of speed. He's a smaller receiver, but he's been an athletic playmaker that we've seen at times be a contributor for a football team. So I'm a little cautiously optimistic there. If they get a really good result out of that transfer from Andrew Anthony and they get some production out of Austin Stogner to go along with Farouk and Stu, I think you really could have something working very well for this Oklahoma offense. They bring back a decent running attack as well. I think the offensive line is probably going to be okay. They bring in a couple of transfers there, including left tackle Walter Rouse from Stanford. And in case you ever have anything like an injury to a quarterback in Dylan Gabriel, like he had last season, of course, we don't hope to see that. They do have a quarterback recruit, Jackson Arnold, who has gotten a lot of publicity and who I've heard a lot of people who've seen him on the recruiting trail and those kinds of things at camps. There are some people who believe he is the real deal. So they could be one of those teams this season in 2023 that ends up a little bit more on the good end. Should they have any injury situation at quarterback, they could have one of the better, more talented freshman quarterbacks in the country sitting back behind Dylan Gabriel. And that's basically all you can hope for now with the transfer portal. You're not going to have more than most likely two, maybe three. I mean, you're really lucky if you've got three quality guys in your room. You've got to set it up to where you've got a really good entrenched starter that's an older guy and then a really talented freshman. 
As we move over to the defensive side of the ball, Alan, you've already indicated this was one of the worst defenses at the Power 5 level in the entire country. There are some bright spots coming back. There's an awful lot of changes on the roster as well. We already documented there's no draft picks coming off this side of the ball, and that's really to no surprise with how bad they were a year ago. But Brent Venables is one of the defensive minds in college football that's regarded most highly, and now he gets a second year with this unit. So what are some of the things you're looking for as we detail this side of the ball a little bit more closely? Well, last year, their best statistical category was allowing 30 points per game, and that came in at a paltry 98th in the country, and every other statistic was ranked in the hundreds. They returned seven starters, but I don't know kind of what that's going to be. I fully expect this team to be better defensively, but I also think this team is going to benefit from a little bit easier schedule, in my opinion, this year. They miss out on Kansas State during the regular season. They catch three of the new folks that come in to the Big 12 in their first year, and I think that's a really good thing. So that's really going to help out a defense that otherwise – I don't see them being widely regarded as much better. Danny Stutzman comes back at linebacker. He was the Big 12's top tackler a year ago. Cornerback Woody Washington is a three-year starter. They really like the safeties they have in Billy Bowman and Key Lawrence. So there are some star-type players, but how do they get the production they need? There's going to be a lot of transfers on the defensive line, and that's where I think that if this team is much better on the defensive side of the ball. I think a lot of it's probably going to come from these guys coming in on the defensive line. You've got defensive tackle, Jacob Lacey coming in from Notre Dame, defensive ends, Rondell Bothroyd from Wake Forest and Trace Ford from Oklahoma State. If I remember correctly, I think Trace Ford is coming off of an injury season with Oklahoma State. And I think there's some question about how much he'll be involved, but if he's there and he's a contributor, I think that's a good thing. So I think this team could really have a boost from transfers coming in. I don't think this is going to take them from one of the worst defenses in the country to one of the best, but if they get to be an average defense, that's a huge, huge jump. They also have a linebacker in Desan McCullough coming over from Indiana, who is a second team freshman All-American. So I do think there are some spots to look at with this defense going, hey, they return enough talent, some of it, especially in the secondary, some of it at linebacker. If the defensive line transfers really give them a boost forward, I think you could be looking at a possibly respectable defense. And to me, Alan, I think that's saying a ton for the Sooners if they get that paired with what I think is going to be a pretty good offense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's why generally my expectations are higher than the six and six that they went in the regular season last year. When you look at the fact that it's a little bit easier of a schedule, I'm moving my floor up to about an eight and four for them. Now, if they were playing Kansas State, if they were getting Baylor during the regular season, that might have changed a little bit. But my floor right now is going to be eight and four. But my ceiling is not that high. It's only nine and three. I see this team not being great, but being better as they look to head into the SEC in 24. I love it. This is the first time that we are seeing a significant difference in what we're talking about with floors and ceilings. So I'm kind of in the same territory with a floor. I really honestly say nine and three looks like my projectable floor just because 
sure, they could have a really bad season. They might end up like a seven and five or an eight and four or something like that. Sure. But Oklahoma has a lot of talent on its roster and they lost a lot of close games last year, just as you said. When they line up on the field, I think that you look at the schedule and there is only one team that I marked down right now today as an automatic loss, and that's against Texas, okay? Their second most difficult game, I think, is TCU on the last Friday of the season, November 24th, and TCU loses so much that I feel like that's kind of a toss-up game. So to Mm -hmm. me, when you look at this schedule, I think they've got one loss, I think they've got one, maybe two toss-up kind of games, and then a lot of ones that Oklahoma is going to be the favorite. I think they are the better team. I think they're going to win a lot of these games. So to me, I put the low at 9-3. and three. I think that's realistic just because, sure, they could be putrid on the defensive side of the ball again, and maybe they do fall to like an 8-4. and four. But I am projecting a little bit of a step up on the defensive side of the ball, and I think the offense is still going to be pretty productive, though I don't think it's going to be a top-10 type of offense that we've seen many times when Lincoln Riley was there. So when I look at the schedule, I think 9-3 and three on a low end – I think there's a potential this team could go 11-1. and Like I said, I look at TCU very much as a toss-up. I'm giving them a loss against Texas, but I think every other game is winnable. But when I project what I think is likely to happen, I'm going to fall right in between those two marks. I think that they probably lose to Texas. I think they probably fall again somewhere, whether that's to TCU or maybe one of the road trips somewhere. I think this team's probably going to fall in in a territory of like a 10-2. and I mean, I think that's fair. In all honesty, in looking at it, I was tempted to go my ceiling at 10 and 2. I don't see this team going 11 and 1. I just don't think they're going to be consistent enough defensively. In one of these road games, I just feel like they're going to lose, even if it's a surprise type game at Oklahoma State. You know, it's the last time those teams are going to play for potentially a long time. That's going to be a really tightly contested matchup. So I see. Most likely, I've got them probably at nine and three. If everything goes wrong, though, because of the easiness of their schedule, I don't see them dropping below eight and four. But if I were predicting an actual win loss record right now, it would be nine and three. Very fair. I like it. So as we get a little bit closer in looking at the schedule, thinking about what we're going to see on the pick'em slate, we've already talked about some of their most significant games. Obviously, Unless just disaster hits, we're going to see this team on week six against Texas. There's no doubt about that. And then you fast forward to the end of the season. I'm already calling TCU their second most difficult game, but that game does happen on Friday, the 24th. Traditionally, with this ESPN pick and the confidence side, we don't see Friday kickoff. So I don't know that that's going to be there, although with that being rivalry week and that kind of thing late in the season... We've seen some changes where ESPN started to include the conference championships the week after on Friday night. This year in week one, we have a Sunday game. Those aren't traditional things we've done. So I'm not going to exclude TCU from being on the list potentially in week 13. So that's a possible matchup, but I don't know that it's a guarantee. And it could certainly be out because it's on a Friday. So I'm looking at Texas as one game they're guaranteed to have. And then as I look at the schedule, I like the game at Kansas on week nine. You mentioned Oklahoma State in week 10. That's also a road game. You mix in some others. I kind of like Cincinnati on the road in week four just because that's an opportunity to see one of these newcomers to the Big 12. They've got a non-conference game against SMU in week two. I think we could see this team between four and five times in the regular season. Like you said, it's maybe a little bit softer schedule that Oklahoma benefits from, and that means we probably don't see them, in my mind, as many times as we did a year ago, not the eight times we saw them. So I think we might see them a little bit less, but probably more successful than we saw them a year ago. 
I think that's totally fair. I mean, last year we saw them five times in the first seven weeks, which is an incredible run. But I agree. I'm thinking four or five times. The only one that I might could see is late in the season. If both teams are doing pretty well, maybe at BYU in week 12. But I think we'll see the team four or five times, which means they will not be on the preview next year as we jump in to the 2014. <laughs> well, in the eight games we saw them, we already documented it. They went three and five a year ago. So with the schedule being as easy as it is, and as we're both talking about this team winning certainly more games, we think, than a year ago, it sounds to me like you're going to be projecting probably more wins this time around versus the schedule than what they ended up with a year ago. To me, it's like I said, a loss versus Texas. And then after that, I'm open to kind of anything. Early in the season, if we see them, I think I'm projecting Oklahoma with some pretty strong confidence that they're going to win if it's a game like SMU or at Cincinnati. And then as we get into the second half of the season after Texas, it's really going to be determined based off what I've seen there in the first half of the season for this team. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we have a couple more episodes coming your way. Coming up on Monday, we have the second half of Bedlam in a paid episode on our Patreon. That'll be with Oklahoma State. And then this time next week, we will have a free episode drop going to the Pac-12 and looking at the Oregon Ducks. Alan, I can't wait for more of it. We are working our way steadily through this thing. And at the conclusion of this episode, where we are right now, we've made it through exactly half of our pick and profiles as we go through the offseason heading toward the 2023 season. That means we're getting really close, my man. That's what that means. Love it. Alan, thank you for the time. Can't wait to talk more college football with you here on the Blackout. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here.